Welcome to the Offshore Accountant Podcast. I'm Nick Sinclair and this is the go-to podcast if you're an accountant and looking to set up and build a high-performing offshore team for your accounting firm. Here you can learn how to complement your local efforts, grow capacity and deliver more to clients than ever before. Hear from experts who have done it already. Let's go. Hi, I'm Christine Green from Restaurant Bookkeepers Australia, and you're listening to the Offshore Accountant Podcast. Chris, give us an overview of your team structure, both locally, offshore, number of um, team members you've got, and just a little bit about your businesses. Yeah, sure, Nick. We've got locally 14 employees, and the time they've been with us, they range from absolute newbies that started today even, up to seven years is probably our current longest serving employee. Then our offshore team, there's seven and their term of employment ranges from one year to seven years. So in actual fact, our Philippines office is a support for our Brisbane office and our Brisbane team are client-facing. Excellent. So Chris, tell us a little bit about your businesses and, and whether you have a niche because I know that you've got a few different businesses and a few different brands. So tell us a little bit about your businesses and the niche that you work in. Yeah, we've got four key brands that we focus on and the niche is actually the food industry. So that's hospitality and food service. Our core brand is Food Strategy. It's just turned 21 years old and it specialises in architectural interior design services for the hospitality industry. We also do consulting and catering equipment procurement as an extended arm to that business. The other brand that we've got, core brand, is Restaurant Bookkeepers. It's relatively new. It's also a niche and it's doing bookkeeping consulting services focusing on just cafes and restaurants and the unique financial aspects of that area of the hospitality industry. So I just felt like specialising and being able to help those businesses be better at what they do and help them put a spotlight on their numbers. I just think that that cafes and restaurants are really missing out on that sort of core service. So I build a brand. The other two brands we've got are online shopping carts. There's Cold Room Shopping Australia and Southern Cross Food Equipment. And both of them are fully managed offshore other than some of the customer interaction that we do with our Brisbane team. Excellent. Now, Chris, I know you're an early adopter in, um, in having offshore team members. What was your motivation behind setting up an offshore team um, versus obviously the other priorities within the businesses that you have? We were getting squeezed by cheap copycats. Uh, Other little businesses popping up trying to imitate what we do, but selling it extremely cheap. But obviously the quality and the the information that was being provided wasn't even close to what we could do. So therefore our employment costs were rising and it was our biggest issue in the business and we were really getting squeezed by employment costs. And also the changes um, many years ago with the employment laws, when we had weak performers in the business, it was getting really tough to flick them or move them on. And I was just on the hunt for what are we going to do here? Because we were were gradually sliding backwards all because of employment costs. I went to a, a conference one day and a gentleman that you and I both actually know was speaking about offshoring and it was when Odesk was was relatively new and the next day I jumped onto Odesk and I was into it. But they, the, the biggest problem was actually um, finding skilled workers who wanted to work in Australia and that were affordable, particularly in the systems and the processes that we needed to use for our businesses. 
Yeah, excellent. So how did you go about getting set up? You mentioned about Odesk, but how did you go researching, finding a partner, the whole recruiting and onboarding? What process did you take and how long did it take to get up and running? Well, the interesting thing about Odesk, which is now called Upwork, and the use of freelancers, it gave, gave us the opportunity to test that environment. This is before we really even knew BPOs existed. So I didn't have any preconceived ideas. I just saw all the opportunities and completely just jumped in. Within an hour, I had my first freelancer working and doing some architectural modelling for us. So that architectural modelling in Australian labour was costing us 100 to $300, depending on the model. Offshore, we were able to get that down in between $3 and $10. So we did ad hoc admin tasks and various things like that. But as the Odesk scenario and the freelancing ran its course, there came a point where, yeah, this can really work, but we now need to make it a more permanent solution. And I'd have to say that fools jump in where angels fear to tread. I saw somebody else go to, go to Manila, find a BPO and implement a team there and came back raving about its benefits. Well, the next day I jumped on Skype, contacted BPO and I hired. I don't think you need to really follow my example, but that's how I went about it. So it's <laughs> probably not the best way to go about it, but um, I just kept seeing the opportunities and I just jumped in and ran with it. And that's actually that first employee that we hired about seven years ago is still a full-time employee in the Philippines. That's fantastic. It means you're doing something right. And to be honest, uh, any of the listeners out there, we find so many accounting firms that we are talking to take so long to make decisions that, you know, several years go by and then they turn around and start hiring their first team member and they turn around to us and the, they always say, oh, you know, we wish it, we did this sooner. So that leap of faith, I think, you know, while you jump in and do it, it's, it's you know, a big, oh, it's a big reason why you, you've been so successful in all of the businesses. Now, I'm going to talk a little bit about um, restaurant bookkeepers because you're not an accountant and you, and you, you weren't a bookkeeping and, and I've known you personally for many years. What was the driver for setting up restaurant bookkeepers and how did you go about that process with building your team overseas? My team's still quite small. This comes later into the podcast, but I am a perfectionist by nature. So the driver of what was happening was I had some bad experiences in the accounting space and someone said to me, well, if you're going to whinge about it, why don't you put your money where your mouth is and prove you can do it better? <laughs> I thought, okay. Love it. <laughs> Came on. So, so I did. And I did put myself through obtaining a registration with the Tax Practitioners Board. I went and did the study which actually helped me in my business and my uh, understanding of business mechanics. So while you can own, a, own businesses for most of your life and you, you're very intuitive how things work, sometimes the mechanics of it can give you a better understanding as well and know how to, how to uh, improve on how the business runs. So I'd have to say it was a good experience and definitely a good thing to do. But I looked at hiring people that had BAS agent licences or were registered with the Tax Practitioners Board that then started giving me challenges with, well, I wasn't really owning the company or controlling it, and I was too much at risk by the people who were under me leaving and then taking those licences with me. So the only way I felt was the, the quality way to move forward was to get that licensing myself. So I did, and I put that in place and then started to build the website and then started using my existing network, and that's how I've marketed it out through that way. Did I get yeah, off excellent. track? 
I probably did. <laughs> no, no, not at all. So for someone looking to set up an offshore team, what advice would you give them to move as quickly as possible? What would be the three most critical things that you would spend your time on? The key word here is quickly as possible. To do it better than how I did it, the three things I would say is before you recruit, prepare a really good test that suits your business. Now, the BPOs do, do the, a lot of the heavy lifting from the recruiting point of view, but if you've got three or four to choose from for workers, you want to know you're going to hone in the one that's going to suit you the best. And often the English skills can be a breaker for your communication and how well that communication goes. So do a recording of your voice and give instructions on a task. So you could just do a recording, you know, using your phone that says, hi, my name's John, please prepare an Excel spreadsheet and I want you to add in these formulas. Can you add up that? Do this to a column, do that to a column. Very basic, easy instruction. But if they can follow your instructions by voice, you know that they've got a good understanding of the English language. And it's such an easy test, but the results uh, will actually tell you a lot of stories. Another one is to do a written test, and it doesn't have to be about accounting. It could just be a test that says, tell me what you did on the weekend or what your favourite hobby is, write half a page. And then you'll see what they're going to be like when they communicate in an email to you. And once you can filter through that, then you'll know whether that's important to you. And of course, then you've got your other skills test with, with regards to finances and bookkeeping or accounting or whatever you need. Excellent. Great. It's, there's plenty of good advice there. So if you had a word or a phrase to describe the value your offshore team provides to your business, what would it be? Uh, that was actually a really hard question because there's so many. So I had to really drill down on the key value at the stage of the journey I'm at now is cost savings and the HR management provided by the BPOs. So if you've got a like I've used probably four different BPOs over the years and the good quality ones will give you really good HR management and help you with your workers. So cost savings and HR management are the core values or the things that I value the most, sorry. Yeah, great. So perceptions of offshoring, I mean, you've been doing it for a long time. What are the main things that you've heard about offshoring and what surprised you the most? People always say that the quality is bad. That is so wrong. They're still saying it. Like Australia has been offshoring now for a very long time. It's not new to most businesses. So there's small, medium and large are using offshore to some extent. We've got our teams now in the Philippines, but they value education as a core to their culture. And they also value it as a survival skill, more so than Australians. Filipinos, they desire quality results to succeed. It's, it's how they get ahead. It's how they feed their families. Um, so I'd have to say that Quality in offshore teams, definitely wrong. But particularly if you've been able to train, you've got your operations and your systems in place, you'll find that the, the quality can actually exceed what you can do in Australia. We've got an architect that has worked for us for many years in the Philippines. And in November last year, we flew her to Australia to actually train our Australian team. It's unbelievable. Because of her, her quality. Yeah, it's, I agree with that one. It's the, the biggest perception is that it's it's lower cost, you know, lower quality. But like you've said, it, it's not. It's, you know, in a lot of cases, our Philippines team are actually training their local teams, um, whether it be in the US or Australia or, or Canada. So, Chris, the year ahead, what is your plan with your offshore team? How do you plan to keep growing your team, their capability and ultimately their performance? 
Okay, so food strategy as a brand has undergone massive growth in the last two years and we're still growing. We've, we have slowed that a little bit because, um, as we all know, growth sucks cash, so we're just trying to keep a real handle on that. Um, so our focus on two, for 2019 is to really consolidate our systems and get our key performance numbers working the way that we want them to. Restaurant bookkeepers, it's in a marketing phase for growth now. So we've been getting our systems put up, creating our operations manual, team training, videos and things like that. And so now we're in a marketing phase to grow the BHAG. So I do have a, an offshore marketing team and they're now starting to focus on restaurant bookkeepers and how we're going to implement marketing for growth. So it's not necessarily about scaling the accountants that I've got at the outsourced accountant. It's about how I'm going to implement the offshore marketing team, which is a little bit different, I guess. And then that will enable me to grow the, the offshore team. Excellent. Now, what are some recommendations for our listeners on the top things that they should do in managing an offshore team? If you're going to create an offshore team, treat it as if it's an office that you're opening in another state of Australia and do it any exactly the same as you would there. If you can visit, that's even better. But the things that you would do if you were doing a team in another state, you would have good communication, you'd train, you'd nurture and you'd develop a culture. So the Philippines team is exactly the same. They're not a set and forget team. So just remember that you have to develop them the same as you would any other Australian team that's not in the office that you're currently working at. Second thing is learn to listen. So Filipino culture is not as abrupt and forthright as an Australian culture. And you'll actually learn more if you learn how to listen more than you, than you actually tell. So learn the challenges, learn the beliefs, learn the culture of the Filipinos and you'll be able to pick up nuances about your employees so that you can make better decisions. The third one is use the management services of your BPO to get guidance on many things like salary, the challenges the workers have, get ideas, how to have motivators. Use the BPO services as your conduit while you're trying to figure out how to break down the barriers and develop a team. You pay for those services, so you might as well use them. And most of the BPO HR management people are really skilled in that space and they know your worker probably more than you do and they'll, they'll be able to give you some good guidance. So they're my three tips. Yeah, great advice, particularly that first one. And this one comes up a lot of the time when we're talking um, to people that haven't made this work. And, I mean, we talk to probably 50 or 100 accountants um, almost daily between our sales and account management team and a lot of the people that are not making it work are the ones that are just treating it like an outsource provider where they're just sending their work. It, it is your own team. You've got to remember it's just another office to your team. So look, there's some great advice um, there and I think people just need to implement exactly as you um, described then. So Chris, we're going to talk about some metrics um, and around how we measure success of the offshore team. So what KPIs do you use to measure the success of your offshore team? How do you know whether it's a successful operation or, or whether it's not, you know, you're not getting the value out of it? Uh, time and attendance became the two important ones. I was getting quite caught up in KPIs a while back and, you know, everyone wanted a KPI board and it was a thing to do. The more KPIs we had, the more we weren't actually thinking about how we were working and how we were rolling. It just became all about the KPI. So just narrowed it down to time and attendance. So if an employee can meet time schedules and deliver on time and they show up to work on time and they attend more than they actually have sick days, 
I feel like we've actually got a good employee. And I know that sounds quite simplistic, but in the services that we provide, time is such a, a key factor. While we don't sell on time, we actually buy on time, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it does. It's an interesting one. Very interesting. So how has offshoring benefited your clients? Oh, without a doubt, faster turnaround of services. We can punch things out so much faster than our competitors. It's phenomenal. We can have a, a late task come in at 5pm in, in the afternoon to our Brisbane team. They can drop that onto Asana, which is a project management software that we use. Our Philippine, Philippines team will have that completed in the next two hours and it's ready to send to the client the next morning after it's been checked. And it's just, or, it's just so much of a faster turnaround. That's probably the biggest kicker. Yeah, which is, is not a bad thing at all. So how has offshoring contributed to giving you more time personally? Has it given you more work-life balance for both you as the business owner, but also with your team locally? Yes, it has. Now, an offshore team requires like more time and attention to set up, as any remote team does. But once it's firing, it's actually giving me and our Brisbane team the opportunity to move on to other areas of the business. So our Brisbane team are focusing more on the client-facing tasks and our Filipino team are actually the mechanics and the engine room and they're getting the task done. So our Brisbane team still checks everything. Nothing goes to the client until it's been through the Brisbane team filter. But it means that they can actually have better discussions with the clients and I can actually then leave that in the hands of the workers and I can now focus on other things in the business, usually, you know, developing or, or operations and things that the business needs. So, yeah, it has enabled me to shift focus and certainly get less task involved. Excellent. Now, I'm going to ask you a question um, that isn't one of our normal questions, but around restaurant bookkeepers. So you've obviously um, had some good and bad experiences in the past. Um, the bad ones are obviously what led you to wanting to set up your own, I suppose, bespoke model. Now, what is this model? So is, is your team local? Are they, do you have a team locally? Is the team global? How's the process, I suppose, work? Is from a, I mean, you're setting it up by design right from day one, which I think is fantastic. So what's that model look like? Just to give our listeners a bit of an example, specifically around that bookkeeping model that you're looking to, or you're implementing now. <laughs> this is going to sound crazy, but I actually knew what the website was going to look like before I started it. I knew what the conversations were going to be. It, the conversation was just absolutely going to be to hospitality workers and restaurant and cafe owners, nothing else. I wasn't going to sound like an accountant. We weren't going to sound like bookkeepers. We weren't going to use the, the lingo that I know when I, I sit in front of my own current accountant and some of the things that she talks about, I, I, I reel with the conversation because I have to take it back a step to really understand what she said. And I wanted to just cut that straight out of it. While the results still need to be there, it was the part where you value what the numbers are in your business and how we're going to have that conversation with the restaurant and cafe owners. That was probably, that was my driver of that. And from then, I've just worked backwards from that point. So how does it look at the end? And then working backwards. I think it's a slower process, but I feel like it's given me more control. Excellent. Very good. So has offshoring had an effect on average hourly rate or profit for your firm? Okay, so two ways to look at the hourly rate. There's the employee hourly rate. Yes, it's definitely reduced our average employee's hourly rate. And it's now in check and it's made us much more competitive in that benchmarking area, I would have to say. 
It's made no change to our selling rate. So we're not in a race to sell it cheaper. We actually wanted to increase our prices because we're able to deliver a higher quality. So we sell our services on value, not on hourly rate anyway. And uh, if you can see what you get for the value and how we can make a difference to your business, then we're able to keep that higher, which naturally will give us a higher profit. So quality drives everything we do and we wouldn't change that for any monetary reason. So our labour costs are still high, but we can now offer so much more and we can do it with a bigger team and we can do it better and faster, which has positioned us as the experts in our field. Excellent. Now, what one bit of advice would you give your younger self from a business point of view? Oh, I still haven't mastered this, but I am getting better. And it's learned to delegate everything. And we all know you can only do that as you can afford it. And offshoring actually does give you the opportunity to afford it quicker than if you're doing it in the Australian environment. So I'm a bit of a perfectionist and I always want to know how things work from the ground up. So that can, that can slow me down a little bit. So while I'm a fiend with quality, I've actually learnt that perfection's overrated and I should probably drop my standards. <laughs> yeah, I, I learned that one many years ago and I actually read a, a great article by a guy called Mark Moses who runs a business called CO Coaching International around this exact point is that, you know, you can afford this person, you just need to look at how. And can you? the question is more, can you afford not to have these people? Um, and I think that offshoring just gives you the ability to have those highly skilled people, but obviously at a lower cost arbitrage. So Chris, I'm going to ask you a question which is more about personally, what one bit of advice would you give your younger self from a personal point of view? The, probably the biggest thing I, I would do again is step back from work more often because I'm finding now that the years, they're just starting to flick by like their days. I can't, I just, phenomenal. I can't believe how quick time is flying. And uh, I've got a jet ski and I'm really going to hit it hard this summer, I can tell you right now. <laughs> Excellent. Looking forward to seeing that. Now, for someone looking to grow their business or their team, what's the best piece of advice that you've ever heard and implemented that you could pass on? Best piece of advice about implementation is get your operations manuals in place. Every time you train somebody in the Australian team, record it, create a video. There's so much free software out there such as Zoom that you can record these videos and then stick it in a library. Then once you've got your offshore team, it's like plug and play. You just direct them to the link where the video is and they can watch that a million times over. And uh, I'd have to say getting your, your operations manuals in place will just be an absolute godsend. Excellent. Now, I'm going to finish off the podcast today with a quick five in five. So what cloud software do you use? Now, you know, I didn't think these ones through too well. So I will tell you the software that we use. And we, we run on the smell of an oily rag, so they are cost effective for anybody to pick up. So we use the Google G Suite apps. So that's Google Drive and all of the software that, uh, and email that, that comes with that. Asana is a project management tick and flick kind of a tool, and it's amazing for scheduling. So we use that for absolutely everything across all the businesses. Dropbox for file sharing as well, and Time Doctor. And that's actually my favourite app as well, because I know you're going to ask me that question. Time Doctor, particularly for offshore teams, is the way that you can monitor what they're working on. So it tracks time. As soon as they turn on the computer and start working, it tracks time. But you can also implement screenshots as well. So if you're in financial services and you're very concerned about security and what's being run on that computer during work time, you can actually 
have screenshots of someone's computer at set at however many minutes of interval that you want and you can record that as a security log. So it's actually a really, really good tool for us and all of our Australian team use it as well and so do I. It's a really Excellent. good way to manage time. For restaurant bookkeepers, what's the um, accounting stack that you put together for that, just quickly? Preference to zero. have recently taken on QuickBooks as well because we're watching that start to run and, and start to pick up speed in Australia. So I didn't think it was a good idea to turn our back on, on QuickBooks. Asana as the task management tool and, as I've mentioned before, Time Doctor and G Suite and um, yeah, I haven't actually implemented any of the other like standard accounting ones because I haven't felt the need because we're already running them. I'm running them like um, parallel with, with food strategy. So just to continue the same software stack just made sense that the two businesses run the same. Excellent. Now you've already mentioned your favourite app, Time Doctor, and it is a good one. Now what's the one thing that you must read each week or listen to? I'm supposed to sound really intelligent here, aren't I? <laughs> is there anything that you read on a weekly basis or on a daily basis? I know that you're pretty active in a lot of the um, bookkeeping groups. Is there anything that it's a must read each week for you? From the financial side of things, I never miss any of the, the emails that come from the software companies because I like to know what the development is in those software stacks because that's going to be some of the things that are really important for efficiency. And any of the, the updated newsletters that come from Institute of Certified Bookkeepers or Australian Bookkeeping Association or the Tax Practitioners Board, because if we miss any of those developments that are coming along, um, I think we're not going to be ahead of the game when it comes to competition. So that's probably things that I keep my eyes open for each week, other than the normal business books that, that we all get addicted to as they come around. Excellent. Now, I think I know the answer to this one, but what is your favourite social media channel? You did ask that question. <laughs> well, I'm going to say Facebook, but I'm going to sound cheap and cheery by saying it, but Facebook for me serves two purposes. So if I need to switch off from the day, I turn, I turn on Facebook at night time and all of a sudden I'm not at work anymore and it is a very social thing for me. However, I'm also part of a lot of groups. Now, groups, it's not necessarily about the interaction. Industry groups on Facebook and forums gives you the opportunity to listen. So as I, I'm able to drill in, particularly the, the food industry, I'm able to drill down on what some of the challenges are, what hot topics are coming up for our clients, and then try and implement those into blogs and marketing that I can push out really quickly or put up on a linked, LinkedIn post. So I can, I can react to something there and then because I'm seeing them come through the Facebook groups. And some of those groups are actually quite raw and heavy in discussion. And uh, you'd be surprised at how much information you can garnish from that and then how you can drive your business to meet the conversation. Excellent. Now, final question, your favourite KPI? Oh, yeah, as I said before, time. I know there's so many more KPIs, but for us it's just time. Because if, if we're spending too long doing what we need to do, it doesn't mean you can sell it at a higher price because you know, you get market driven. So we need to be effective and efficient in what we do. Excellent. Now, thank you so much for all of your valuable insights today. There's been plenty that our listeners can take away. If any of our listeners want to reach out and get in touch with you, what's the one best way for them to be able to contact you? Oh, easiest way is just through either of the websites. So for the bookkeeping one, it's restaurantbookkeepers.com.au or foodstrategy.com.au. Um, if you Google it, we 
thank goodness for our Filipino marketing team, we just seem to pop up. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. So we'll put obviously your contact details in the show notes um, for everyone to be able to see. But um, thank you very much, Chris. Cheers. Have a good day. To follow our podcast and get insights from leading accountants, simply visit theoutsourcedaccountant.com or visit iTunes or SourCloud and head to the Offshore Accountant Podcast. To connect with me personally, just look for my Twitter handle at Nick Q Sinclair or find me on LinkedIn at Nick Sinclair. Thanks and have a great day.